Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Welcome to the pod, guys. And today I'm really, really happy to welcome my friend from Turkey. It's Alp, who many of you know as Langapedia, the IG guy. So welcome, Alp, to the show. Hello. Hello, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Nice having you on. Great. Right. I didn't know beforehand that you're actually a listener of the pod. So thank you so much for supporting it. Uh, I personally love asking this question, but how many episodes, you know, have you liked? <laughs> and yeah. uh, I like many of them. I mean, I guess, I guess it's a must now. I mean, you guys are doing a tremendous job for for a long time now, and with your guests, which all are amazing. Um, so it has always been a pleasure to listen to you. But I mean, I guess since our last chat, um, I guess I told you as well that one of my favorites was definitely Silasus. Mm. So. Yeah. I hope to be at least somewhere close <laughs> and yeah. not on the level, but somewhere close to that. Well, it's, that, it's down to the interviewer. It's down to the interviewer. Anyway, we totally, <laughs> totally appreciate uh, all the love and support. And I'm really right. looking forward to this one, really. You know, um, this will be a two-parter, guys. So sit tight and enjoy the ride. The first part is really Alp's story. And the second part is where we just go mad into Langer. And obviously, he's an expert in that area. So we've never had that before. Here we go. Right. So where are you now, Alp, at the moment? And where do you spend um, most of your time? I'm in Istanbul. And um, I arrived again now on yesterday. And um, I am going to leave today again back to Berlin. And uh, most of my time is divided uh, between Berlin and Istanbul and partly visiting my family in a small town near uh, ancient Smyrna, so to speak. Okay. Right. And how old were you when you got into watches? And what was it about watches that interested you? Um, I was 13 or 14, I guess. Um, Really an obnoxious teenager when I really got into it. And uh, what got me into what was pretty straightforward, it was due to Federer, (laughs) so to speak. I mean, as the guy is a hero and wears a Rolex, so I had to, you know, wear a Rolex. So that was the entry point. And then it just got down really dangerous from down there. And now I'm sitting with you guys ready to talk about watches for like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's great. So let's get straight into it. When and why did you start Langopedia? Um, right. So when I started it, it was... 2016 um, I was a first year student and in the university and um, the idea was to I would say there, there are two windows to that I guess um, one was to connect with I would say like-minded enthusiasts around the world who actually appreciates longer because um, as you guys know that the longer community was not nearly as crowded or how to say, uh, as popular as today, where you couldn't find any of the longer collected that you're looking for in the street or, I don't know, any, any watch uh, get-together, I guess. So the idea was to spread the word on this amazing brand, which I thought extremely underrated. Mm. And also, you know, to meet with collectors, like-minded guys from all around the globe as much as I can. And the other part was about its future prospects, so to speak. 
Mm. Okay, can you elaborate on its future prospects? Because I think you also <laughs> right. had like personal and professional reasons for starting. Uh, <laughs> right, right. So um, with the professional reason was, um, so I always wanted to work in a watch industry, so to speak. And um, in my first year as a student here in Istanbul, uh, I remember going door to door in the watch street that we have here. So in one of the streets, there is Washeron Constantine and the next one, next, and there's Patek Fleet and everything in between like JLC, Panerai, IWC, whatever. And I remember going door to door to these guys, starting from the biggest ones, obviously, just asking for a job for a 19-year-old guy. Um, you know, I don't want any money or I don't want any payment. Just let me in and teach me, you know, how this works from the business perspective. But obviously, I got rejected from all of them. You know, uh, luckily, I got some catalogs from Vacheron. So <laughs> that was cool. Um, but after that, it started with, um, actually, it was a Panerai boutique manager back then. Uh, I got into the Panerai as one of my last resorts. <laughs> and um, after that, um, the gentleman there, you know, I, I asked them, you know, I am this guy. I'm really into watches. So if I can work for you guys uh, pro bono. And if I can learn from you guys, that would be great. And then the boutique manager just snapped from inside and said, yeah, I can make use of, a, you know, from a guy like you. And um, that was the entry to the watch industry for me, a really small one. So I was working at part-time uh, with, my, with my studies as well. And after that, you know, being into the watches more and more again, uh, I really decided that I wanted to do this, you know, in the headquarters of the company, so to speak. And, but, you know, again, being in the watch industry, you know, even the smallest part of it, um, working in, you know, one of those headquarters as a guy, let's say, you know, who doesn't speak German, who doesn't speak French at the time, and um, who doesn't have an EU passport, which is a, you know, huge block, um, you don't have much of a choice, right? Because there is always a guy next to you who has this I'd say EU passport who speaks German, who speaks French. So you had to do something entirely different to actually, you know, put your name uh, in front of there as well. So that was the professional reason to start Langipedia um, saying that, okay, after four years, I'm going to make this page, you know, a cool one. And I am going to perhaps, you know, make a name for the page itself. And perhaps when I apply, I can already show them that you know i know a lot about your watches i know a lot about the community mm -hmm. you know i am part of it and um so if you want to hire me you know that would be great and that was like an active uh circulum vitae so to speak and that was the professional reason mm. did you not fancy doing a panerai pedia <laughs> <laughs> I, I could yeah. write about bronzers for like 300 oh, times i guess <laughs> yeah like i don't think by the time you finished like your, I don't know, first post and got to like the 50th post, you'd have to mm. re-edit your first post about limited edition bronzos. Right. Know, because <laughs> they'd be bringing them back out again, wouldn't they? You know, like broken promises after broken promises. Absolutely. That wouldn't be my fault anyway. So <laughs> it would be okay. I want to know... Um... Okay, so you secretly have this passion for Lange and you know it's like the products are beautiful and then you're working at Panerai. So when you go to work and your <laughs> colleagues are discussing these Panerais, like, look at the new release, we're about to release, blah, blah, blah. Do you play along and you're like, yes, this is amazing? Or are you just 
like silent. Yeah. I, l- I love how refined the hands are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look at the movement. <laughs> well, I think it has its own beauty. So, mm. <laughs> so it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. So obviously, like you started the page and then you were almost like, um, for thinking right you said oh you know if i were to apply for jobs later on i could just show them the page and they would know my the extent of my knowledge so my question is you know with this kind of strategic approach to going about you know maybe getting a job in the watch industry later on um you it sounds like you knew from right from the start what you wanted to do um was it very much like that and actually and then the follow-up question was like, you were just starting university, like how, and from a, like, I guess like a hobby perspective and you wanted to do it pro bono, like, did you have some forward thinking that after I graduate or something, I want to work in the watch industry? Was, was that like that for you? Like you knew you wanted to come in at the very beginning. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, You know, starting with your second one, so before business administration that I started, I studied computer engineering for like a year. Mm. And, um, you know, in my time as a computer engineering student, I really felt that, you know, this is not the path to go for me. And, um, you know, with my, how to say, undying passion for watches, I really thought that watch industry would be the way for me to, you know, make a living for myself in the end, perhaps. And after a year of studying computer engineering, I dropped out from there and then changed it to business admiration to create, how to say, a better time for myself so that I can also chase, you know, these part-time, I don't know, workings in the watch industry. Uh, so, so that was the goal, definitely, just right from the start. Um, you know, and, you know, to your first question, as it was a really long time thing, um, definitely, you know, that was how to say, calculated step by step. Mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, from, I don't know, everything you would hear from a social media consultant, I guess, you know, it was just started and um, made, the way, uh, made the path. So, yeah, it was a long time plan. Right from That's the start. That's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you could, I mean, you, you're obviously famous for Langer. But actually, you're passionate about all watches. Now, we can talk right. here and we can talk about a lot of watches, right? Right. Like, why Langer, apart from the side that you thought it was really niche? In social media, you know, something very niche also takes more time to uh, yeah. nurture, right? I mean, right. you would have got really far probably with RMs, with Rolexes, <laughs> you know, potentially with APs. You know, there isn't an AP page, there isn't an RM page, and there isn't well, you could say there's a Rolex Passion Report page. Right. So how come you didn't think, you know, I want to do that? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. open a page for that if you're thinking about like the industry and, and work-wise, you know, because I, I think right. most people would think, well, I mean, maybe you can answer the question, but you know, you'd go like, I want to go Rolex. I want to go to Patek, right? The two biggest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, yeah, with longer, I mean, I guess it's a... It was a natural evolution in a sense. Uh, what I mean by is, um, as I said, I started with the last of what Federer was wearing. So for me, Rolex was the king uh, when I didn't know anything, right? <laughs> and um, uh, 
I remember going to the forums accidentally, you know, the forums like Watch ProSite or Purist back mm-hmm. then or timezone.com and, um, you know, venturing into the subheadings. And, you know, when I was looking for a Rolex, I then started doing this alphabetically, right? What kind of watch brands are there actually, you know, for me to learn even more about this stuff. And then that was the moment when I, you know, accidentally <laughs> went into longer forum. Right? It was A. <laughs> <laughs> it was at the top. Yeah, it was it was right at the beginning. So, you know, I ventured into this forum and I remember seeing the movement photo uh, of the first generation datograph uh, from the forum moderator back then. Uh, They call him Uncle Edwin. And um, I mean, that was a sensational photo. And I just remember saying, okay, so Rolex is a watch, obviously. And um, then this is a mechanical watch also. So... I mean, how come that these two things are entirely different, right? And then that was the ignition point for me to really go into the mechanics and then the craft and then the history of these pieces. And obviously, you know, when you start from Lange, back then, as I said, no one was into Lange. I mean, not no one, obviously, but not nearly as the uh, as today. Um, so then I ventured into other guys. The next one on the alphabet was Odema Piguet. So then I ventured into Odema Piguet and then going down and down to Protect Philippe, et cetera. Obviously, all of these brands are making exceptional watches. I mean, there is no way around it. Nobody makes a Sonnery or a repeater like Piguet or Protect Philippe, you know, and then you have, you have these amazing chronographs, et cetera. But for me, when it comes to Langa, I guess there were two things. Um, one is, you know, how are we always affectionate towards the underdog Mm -hmm. so Mm. it was kind of like that from one sense Um, like i mean these guys are doing amazing watches too but why are there i don't know five posts a day on longer forum and 50 posts a day on protect forum right nobody Mm. nobody cares about these guys and then the second one was the story uh of their brand and what I mean by story is obviously I talk about Walter Lange and, um, you know, how he got into, again, reviving his you know, family brand at the age of 66, coming from Portsmouth to Dresden again. And um, basically, it's like a rising of Phoenix, right? To me, both as a, how to say, a guy into the historical facts and also the, how to say, uh, strategy. Mm. And the way they built the brand again with Günther Blumlein was an absolutely fascinating story. So for me, you know, that was the that was the place to go, you know, to find myself. And I guess I can say that I kindly, um, you know, matched myself with it as well because Walter Lange had to do something entirely different to again put his family name down there as well. Mm. And I guess for me that was kind of an exp- inspiration as well. Talking about uh, families, um, what did your family think when you told them that this was what you ultimately wanted to do? Right. Um, obviously, they didn't know something like this existed. <laughs> so for them, it was really hard to understand. Um, I mean, up until up until the last year, I still remember my father saying that, I mean, why don't you go into a bank, man? I mean, are you crazy? So, <laughs> I mean, are you, I don't know, are you insane? So for them, it was hard to understand. Like even there is an industry like this, right? Um, 
but I mean, in time, you know, I, I, I walked them through on, you know, how it was, how it was my thing. And, um, but they already know that I was into watches, obviously, but um, they never thought that this was a, this was going to be a huge industry for me to, I don't know, make my living out of it, I guess. And yeah, for them, it was total surprise, but now they are fine with it. And yeah. if you ask them, you know, even back then, they're just going to tell you, yeah, he works in two watches and that's it. Mm. <laughs> they're not going to have much of a clue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do they I... do they go on your site and, and see what, like, basically the things that you've built and, and what do they think about it? Right. Um, my father actually, uh, you know, kind of speaks English. And um, so he ventured into it a couple of times. Mm. And what he was saying was, he was saying what? It looks simple, he said. Mm. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I said, yeah, man, you know, you're right. That was the goal. I mean, yeah. And um, in the end, we're not selling like, um, I don't know, enhancement products, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So he had to be kind of simple. And um, he said, yeah, perhaps, you know, you can put more animations. <laughs> I said, right, I'm going to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they were—they—they I mean, they were quite happy to, I don't know, see see it, you know, something really small from their son, I guess. That's great. So, do you get that sense of feeling that they're really proud of you now because you actually made that out of nothing? And you, to be honest, you—we're uh, going to go on to, you know, where you went on afterwards. But you are a full-time Langopedia, something you built from scratch, and you've right. made it a success. So, is there a sense of pride there? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so, definitely. I remember the first time that, um, you know, even I went into Langa. Um, so whenever in Turkey, it's quite common. I don't know how was it with you guys, but um, so if a family friend comes in or I don't know, another, another friend of your parents, if they come in, the one of the first things that they're going to ask them is, so what does your son do, right? Or yeah. what does your daughter do? And <laughs> so for them, it was really hard to explain in the beginning, like so he works with watches. <laughs> and, and many people obviously didn't get you know what's going on and but you know now i guess for them they i can elaborate it a bit more and uh, what they say is yeah he has his own business and for them you know it's it's a definitely a good thing which makes me really happy mm. Mm. what were the immediate barriers to running langopedia for example you know you don't have all these langers so how do you get all right. the photos and people that, oh, well, I think people know now that English isn't your first language. Right, right. Um, yeah, the language was the first barrier, <laughs> as you said back then. Um, so how I learned English is completely from the TV series or, you know, just from the streets talking to tourists, I guess. So I had zero grammatical structure. I had zero storytelling. And for me, it was my luck, I guess. So from the first post up until the 20th or so, I guess, I would write the post in the worst way possible, but just <laughs> telling across, you know, what this watch is about. And then I would send it to my girlfriend who has an amazing English. And uh, she would just, you know, correct it grammatically and, um, you know, perhaps a bit of con- conjugating words here and there. And then it would look like something you would like to read. <laughs> and uh, we started doing this, I don't know, for 20 posts or so. And she would send it back to me. And then, you know, I would compare the two and then trying to learn, you know, mm. how this actually grammatic structure works. 
because I, otherwise she would she would kick my ass, I guess, after <laughs> after some time. So I had to learn, and uh, so that was the first barrier, definitely. And um, on your first question about, you know, obviously, yeah, I didn't have any of these longer watches. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was twofold um, from the starters. It was uh, mainly from, I'd say, from forums, uh, from the collectors that I know from there, right? Um, you know, asking them if I can use this photo and, um, you know, I'm, I would give you the credit or whatever you want. You know, I don't care. And then, but at the time, at the page grows, uh, it became possible to actually reach out to collectors or they would reach out to me and say, would you like to post about my piece? And then, you know, it just got a lot easier from there on that must have been andy jang probably yeah, <laughs> yeah like he was probably right. looking at your followers and thinking oh, i need to get in with this yeah. guy you know like <laughs> can you post my repost my 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 well, yeah my watches and make me look great right? come gonna, on I thought, I thought you were gonna say can you repost my face <laughs> Sounds like Andy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I mean, I guess like what you're trying to say is that 20 posts in, that's the limit of like what a woman can take in asking you to translate <laughs> posts, right? Like, Absolutely. you know, actually right from post one, you're on limited time, right? So you're Absolutely, thinking 20 man. posts, I have to get this English nailed down, right? <laughs> absolutely absolutely that was a kick that i never got in my life so i was racing ahead of time right and um, it was either making you know making her really angry towards me and saying that dude i mean you're incompetent so you know just go away (laughs) or obviously i had to learn the language so Uh, yeah i love when you first told me that i love the fact that you told like said that because a lot of people they all see the final product of langopedia Mm -hmm. and how polished it is and and (laughs) even the english is like so polished and it's so well curated and prepared and they would have never thought that that's how you started Mm -hmm. you know because they all like to think (laughs) you had three people under you and you know you were telling everybody what to do and it just goes (laughs) to show like if you start something you do actually have to put the work in like every part of the work in right and i love how behind such a beautiful uh page is something as mundane as thinking how do i even write a caption yeah correct (laughs) thank you but is she like a lange expert as well now since she translated so many passages absolutely absolutely (laughs) she became one unintentionally So definitely, she's very happy about it. But now she's yeah. still she's still kind of confuses between Sidewalk and Stefan Zweig, yeah. you know, from the okay. author. So yeah, <laughs> so for All her right. it took a bit of time, but yeah, I could say she is better than the most. <laughs> okay. So I want to ask, um, where did you get all the information from about these pieces? Um. It was, again, uh, it was mostly in the forums. Um, that's another funny story. So mm-hmm. going into the forums, as I said, in 14 or 15 with, with zero English, uh, for me, it was like a kid trying to read a picture book, right? So <laughs> I didn't understand what any of the guys were talking about. So I was just, I was just looking at the pictures. And then I said, man, I mean, you got to read what these guys are saying. 
<laughs> and from there, I started I started using dictionary, using translate, etc. And actually, you know that that got that got me pretty good, I guess, as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was mainly from the forums, I can mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I guess it's still uh, one of the best places to ever to learn about watches um, because these guys were into watches when you know not nearly as many people were around. So mm-hmm. they got into this completely you know, out of pure hobby. And when you got something into you know, pure hobby, I guess you delve into it like nobody else, right? Because mm-hmm. it's your it's your passion most some foremost. So learning from these guys, I can say, you know, definitely helped me to curate all of the things that I wanted to write about, you know, make it structured in the first place, and then actually, you know, putting it onto verse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just want to say, like, um, I really value your attention to quality, mm. right? Because a lot of people have tried to do something like what you did. And, you know, on paper, it looks easy, right? Right. <laughs> but not only um, do you have access to the information and you put it in a concise format, but the way you had the uniform uh, display you know, the quality of the photo, even if somebody did that, they were never at that quality. Yeah. And uh, I just want to say, like, I really admire that you kept such a high standard. You know, it's almost like you realized that presentation is key in luxury. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much for your words, man. It really means a lot to me. Um, I hope I'm half as good as, as you say. <laughs> No, I'm just doing it for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about packaging right. and presentation, remember? <laughs> right, it's to... the key, man. <laughs> but but yeah. yeah um... It's not about you, it's about me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing. Absolutely. Um, I, I, if I first started from the wrist shots. I don't know if you remember in, back yeah, in those yeah. days, I guess. <laughs> it, was, it was complete wrist shots. And um, back then I said, yeah, perhaps I should, you know, I should change it to this uniform format where I only focus on watch and no, nothing else, right? Mm. And I mean, I think, as you say about the presentation, that's, that's 100% true. I mean, what what we are into it, I guess. I mean, it's definitely we are into it for historic, you know, history. We are into it for I don't know craft, etc. But I guess I mean this is a visual hobby in the end, and um, you know you need to put it out there in the best possible way you can. And I'm definitely not saying that you know I, I'm not even close to that. I guess it is a collected man who is putting the best you know photos of any watches mm-hmm. out there um but what i'm doing is something that you know again uh, as an amateur photographer i was searching in a way which would perhaps um make it uniform and also you know make it look good and kind of saves me on time as well mm-hmm. so then you know i kind of transitioned into this area yeah for sure okay i want to know when I can't. Hmm. I keep reading this question, and I'm trying not to laugh. Okay, so when was it that you started to notice success? Like, was it when you got associated with Andy Tsang, or <laughs> <laughs> or was it when you got, got associated with uh, a long, long time? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the latter. <laughs> but um, yeah, what was it? Um, so it was, yeah, I can, I can definitely say that. Um, it was a couple of posts into it. And um, I was obviously, so before, before starting posting anything or something, I had this roadmap saying that, okay, I'm going to post in, I don't know, every one of two days. I'm going to post at this time. I'm going to tag these guys. This would be my language or not speed, et cetera, et cetera. And starting from the first post, I would tag 20 guys, you know, without us skipping a beat. It, it was always the same 20 guys unless they notice, I guess, what I was doing. And um, at the time, there were only one Lange account, and that was Langeholic. Um, he was he was the boutique manager uh, in Palm Beach, Florida, and um, I would just you know keep tagging him and um, you know trying to get a response from here and there. And the moment I guess I said okay, so this can be something good was when Langeholic came in, you know, started to share my posts and you know commented on it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yeah, that that was the time I said okay, so. You know, let let's push the gas because <laughs> this this might actually happen. Mm. <laughs> As your page grew, you you know, a lot of people, a lot of collectors started to reach out to you talking about Langer. And most people that are into Langer, you know, this is a generalization, but they tend to be more of the seasoned collector. You know, obviously right. you start off with the main brands, then you start to filter out and you go to maybe like Langer after, yeah collecting a few pieces but you hadn't amassed a collection then you know right. you had just started this uh, page it's easy to be overawed with the multitude of different strong collector personalities you know some right. with egos and some you know perfectly being gentlemen and you know ladies um how did you overcome those initial insecurities of engaging mm -hmm. like this high net worth and and yeah, yeah. this kind of clients right right um, yeah, I guess not seeing them as a client definitely helped. Um, I mean, in the end, they were just, for me, they were friends from all around the globe, which actually was the fun, one of the fundamental reasons that I started this page in the beginning to connect with like-minded enthusiasts, right? Um, so when we connected, I was, which I still am, you know, really happy to actually exchange information you know, talk, finally talk watches with someone someone else and actually talk about the brand that I love. And um, so for me, it never became a problem. But now since you're asking, I guess one thing that, you know, I, working at a Panerai boutique definitely helped to actually, uh, you know, talking with these people as well. Um, it's different, that different demographic though, Al. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, but back then, you got to remember, man, Panerai was really at the top too. <laughs> Honestly, if you can sell Panerai, I feel like you you just become fearless. Like you can sell anything. <laughs> in in so, my prequel with uh, Alp, I was saying there was a period where mm -hmm. Panerai were like Pokemon. Like everybody was, wanted to collect yeah, all the, yeah. yeah. the Panerai, right? And then suddenly, yeah. as fast as it came, just died. And I think mm -hmm. uh, that's part of, I actually do think, you know, the brand management of that wasn't great. Um, 
but nobody really talks about Panerai now. So I mean, it's like that's why we're having a good laugh over it. But yeah, it was right. hot, right? <laughs> right. I remember um, we were in one of these events. This was when 2015, and uh, obviously, so everybody got uh, a lot of Jack on the Rocks or <laughs> a lot of whiskeys in these events. And I remember uh, my you know my boss back then, who's like a brother to me now saying uh, a lot of visitors there, okay, so there are going to be only three brands that you're never going to lose value and actually always increase in value. So this is Patek Philippe, and then you have the Ferrari, and then you have Panerai. <laughs> so I said, I said back then, I would do that's a bold statement. You know, <laughs> this, was, this was the, you know, this was the peak time, as you say. And um, but yeah, after that, it didn't it didn't go so well. <laughs> mm. That right, aged so... well. That that saying <laughs> aged well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you if you ask him now, he's gonna reject it that he said it. <laughs> but, he said it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, back to your question, I guess. Yeah, for me, for me, it grew naturally. Um, as I said, you know, talking with these people, just like you said, definitely. At the beginning, there was kind of nervousness, like how do I even interact with these guys? Um, but then, just like as you say, I mean, these are amazing people. Mostly, I mean, I got an author, let's say Gary uh, from Northern California gang. Um, I mean, Gary, Gary has been an amazing gentleman as always, and um, you know, we would talk watches. I would ask for his photos if I may use. And I mean, he would just share whatever information he has whenever I ask him something. So for me, it has never been a negative experience. Mm. So as your page grew, right, you actually got your job, right? Like at right. Banger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all that actually happened. So how did that come by? <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So. So this was um, really close to ending my studies. Um, so again, then I was working at one of my uh, professors' uh, consulting business, and um, I said, "Okay, I mean, th this is a it's a good paying job or whatever." But I mean, that that's the other thing that I have been building for the last four years. So I guess you know it doesn't hurt to actually ask Lange if they would value of anything that I was working on. And up until that point, for what, for three and a half years, I guess, I was keeping myself completely anonymous uh, from anyone because, you know, anonymity just breeds curiosity, I guess, because mm -hmm. everybody was trying to learn, you know, even from Lange saying that, you know, who is this guy? I mean, who, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> and, um, you know, you see like, hey, I don't know, one of our top collectors or, you know, <laughs> where does the guy reside? And I said, I, ju I just decided to take a shot. And um, I sent them a uh, message from LinkedIn saying that, yeah, I'm this guy. I'm re I really like your watches. I'm really interested. And I am the guy behind Langipedia. And mm -hmm. um, like five minutes later, I got a reply back and saying that yeah we would like to meet with you and then you know we had we had a quick phone call the next day and i mean it, everything was sorted out really quickly <laughs> and, but obviously i got the blow from my turkish passport because it took me like six months to get the working mm -hmm. permit 
Um, so, but I was, I was patient for four years. So for me, six months was nothing, I guess. And um, yeah, after all that time, I was, I was in Gloucester actually working there. Um, to be honest, for the first couple of months, or yeah, I should say every time I went there, I mean, for me, it was literally living in a dream. You know, I couldn't believe that actually I am going into the family house of Ferdinand Adolf Lange, and I actually mm-hmm. do have an office, you know, in his family house, and <laughs> I am actually sitting right next to the guys, watchmakers, who I've been following for 10 years, and now they are just, I don't know, like 10 feet away from me. And um, I had the chance to walk in the manufacturer like countless times or whenever I want, basically, you know, just to sit down and talk with watchmakers, you know, take the tweezers in my hand and trying to put the Rattrapan module on the tubograph. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so for me, you know, it was a tremendous experience and I felt grateful, you know, every morning going to glass there, every evening living there. So for me, it was just amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you, you've de- basically detailed the whole thing from when you got into watches and how this was a strategic approach to, you know, try and get a foot into the watch industry. You isolated a problem, you tried to remedy it, you're best using the best tools you had available right. and you actually landed your dream job, you know, in the watch industry. How, how does that actually feel where something you have planned for four or five years Right, you've re- you've reached the end game for, with yeah. Langopedia, what you wanted to do, and it actually happened. How did that feel? Yes, <laughs> yes, um, yeah. It was definitely definitely a proud moment. The moment that I got the call from Langa, um, because just like as you say, this is something that you work for years and um, and with this intention in the beginning. So again, you know, it was definitely a very proud moment. I felt really grateful. And I also knew that I was very lucky, you know, to actually landing into this thing. Um, I mean, I can still say, I guess, the fly, the flight from uh, Istanbul to Dresden is still the most exciting three hours that I've ever lived, I guess. <laughs> oh, wow. But how did you, like, get past the German? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't quite get past it still because I think it's impossible. <laughs> okay, you learned the dirty but, words first, though. Yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but everything but, in German just sounds like swear words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can testify that. I can testify that absolutely. I mean, right? It, it's it's a tough language, definitely, and I'm definitely you know not passed over it. But um, I mean, I guess, um, so this is how it started with English as well. My first words were... You got a German girlfriend and then you asked her to help you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I would ask my boyfriend about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for for English as well, you know, after the swear words and the basic things like yes and no, the, the moment that I really got into it was... I mean, about watches, like dials, hands, I don't know, the bezel or whatever, whatever the stuff that you will hear in the watch industry. And for German, it was the same. It started with trying to describe uh, what I would write in Langepedia in German. So, mm. because, I mean, it was work-related in the end, too. Mm. And um, 
so after that it got better but i i have a feeling that it's never gonna go this good (laughs) (laughs) i want to know that ironically after planning so long to get your dream job and then finally getting it why is it that you didn't stay on for longer and you only ended up staying for Mm. about a year right right um yeah so I guess in all these years preceding my work at Lange, um, for Langepedia, I created a certain tonality, a way of interacting. And, um, mm-hmm. and as you might guess, uh, it was not very, um, how to say, uh, corporate. <laughs> and, um, but within, a, within the great team of the brand, um, you need to adjust to certain things, right? In the end, no matter how much you try to differentiate between your two personalities, you become an employee and the company, I guess, has every right to ask you to behave in a certain way, you know, according to their brand image, according to how their employees should speak about the brand, how should they actually communicate with their most important assets, which are the clients itself, themselves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't adapt this for a long time um, because... I always try to separate the guy out from Langapedia. So Langapedia should, you know, speak on its own way. And um, so I couldn't attempt this for a long time. Um, and here, I guess I can wholeheartedly say that Langa team was extremely tolerant and welcoming, but some mm-hmm. parts just didn't work just because of this, you know, how this Langapedia thing should mm-hmm. supposed to work. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was the best way for both of us i guess to part ways in the end Mm. it's kind of like bittersweet in the fact that this thing created this opportunity for you but then at the same time it was the reason why you had to leave at the same time right Mm. absolutely absolutely but it wouldn't possible without it as well so you know i i think it was a great thing so it sounds like you know you have to make a decision between like uh you know langer and langerpedia and then right. I guess, is it your heart went for Langapedia? Yeah, <laughs> Of course, that's Absolutely. his baby. That's his baby. Absolutely. Was, it, was it like that's... your baby, as they people say? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> that was the exact phrase that I use, actually. Like, you know, so this is my baby that I grew for like four years. And um, I mean, it's not going to change. So I guess it's better to continue on that path. I think he made the right choice. I mean, uh, this is obviously not about Lange, but if you look at Austin, um, Haraloop, I think in the beginning, a lot of people connected with the page, right? Beautiful photos, very informative, everything. And I think there was so much discussion in the comments section that it was so nice to go in there to read the comments when their new release came out. But then I think it kind of went downhill when a lot of the, the Panther and a bunch of stuff came out. And it was just too politically like correct. It was always mm-hmm. like, no, there's nothing yeah. wrong with the watch. And then people just like, oh, there's no voice <laughs> there anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, right. I agree Absolutely. with Long Long there, and that's where I value. You know that actually you decide. I mean, I'm going to say it for you. I mean, I could be wrong here. I'm not. I'm not speaking for Al, right? But I'm saying like to me outside and hearing what you said, you put the freedom of speech on your page, number one, even above your employment. You know, and that's right. people need to like 
actually sit back and actually just take that in for a moment, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're influenced right now more than any period of time. And yeah, like having spoken to you, you know, before this call, that was something that really like just was so clear that you are, you know, when it comes to that, you're actually very unwielding in your personality. (laughs) Would you say so? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Thank you. Um, Yes. Because integrity and, um, you know, being true to whatever you believe in. I mean, these are the things that I guess uh, defines your personality basically. And as I said, you know, Langapedia in all these years had its own thing, um, you know, its own personality. And I guess without that, you know, freedom of speech or writing whatever I believe is right was the fundamental thing that actually got the page groove and, you know, come to this point in the beginning. And um, although, as you say, you know, just, um, you know, the clash between how I speak there and, you know, uh, my employment uh, ended in a bittersweet way. I mean, I still see its benefits uh, that it brought me over the years because now I am, you know, buying and selling watches and friends that I got over the years know that if I am, you know, posting about a watch for sale or if I want to buy something, then they know that this is an important and a beautiful piece. Mm-hmm. So it worked for me great in the long run, and which I'm very much happy with my choice. Mm-hmm. I think, we- I think, you know, it was more like a um, bucket list item for you. Obviously, you started, I mean, we were talking earlier, right? When you started uni, you knew you were always passionate about watches. You knew that ultimately you wanted to work in the industry. But back then, you know, you didn't know how it was going to progress. So in your mind, you said, okay, ultimately I want to work corporate, right? And I want to see yeah. the, 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 the behind the scenes, which ultimately you, you got to do for, for a year and you got to meet the people of management and, and uh, talk with the watchmakers who you've been following for a decade or so. And coming out from that, not only did you gain um, network from within the brand, but also I would say it ultimately 100% strengthened your identity as Longipedia even more so, right? So I think, you know, I absolutely, I also agree with what your choice was that even though it was only a year, even though it was bittersweet, but you made the most out of it and coming out of it, um, coming out of Lange, you knew even more what you wanted to do. So it was more like a check- checklist item. You don't necessarily need to go back, but you just had to do it just once to, to kind of prove to yourself, hey, look, after four years of building this little pet project, I actually ended up achieving my goal and I came out of it knowing more certain than ever exactly how I want to um, do the rest of my career. So absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. You, 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 you. In hindsight, right, it's easy to see, like, you know, Alp, you're you're like proper entrepreneur, right? You took a risk, <laughs> you worked really hard at it. You know, you're absolute go getter. You know, with the whole LinkedIn and working at Panerai, Pro Bono, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's textbook. <laughs> youtube entrepreneur style and then <laughs> yeah i've seen all of those videos and then um you and got then, me. but then you had the ability to know when even something as important and with much gravitas as the job at langer which was your target you could also let go like 
relatively easily because you were very clear in your mind you know and that's that is you know what i'm getting from this interview which is like fantastic and like i said it's great in hindsight but this is you know to your parents you've said i wanted to work in the watch industry i've got into langer now right <laughs> a year later you're back at home right yeah. <laughs> and you know this is like before covid and you're moving in with your parents like what what's going on in their head what's going in <laughs> on your head you know what's happening right right um yeah so that was that was a week before covid actually got into the level of pandemic um the you know the time where we parted ways with langa and um i said okay so i have i haven't been seeing my parents for months and i guess this is a now a good time you know just to just to say hello and i <laughs> say yeah i mean a lot of change, a lot of things changed again uh, i've been telling you that this was my dream for for the last i don't know couple of years but now i am out of it so <laughs> I, that would be a great way to explain it to them so i went back to turkey and um, a week later germany shut down all the borders and mm. you know the travel in eu stopped so i had 90% of my stuff at my home in berlin and i had only my suitcase with my parents um i went there for like a week but then ended up in a stay for like i don't know 3 months i guess at the time um yeah for them i just explained them uh you know what were the uh, what were the things that you know got us to this point and um you know how did it happen etc and i mean which i am very much lucky that they were always supportive for all my life and you know for this part as well they never said anything and they just said yeah i mean you're going to you're going to find out and we are very much happy that you finally with us here because right from actually my high school years i was on a boarding school so i was never at home for the last 10 years so mm-hmm. for them it was an extreme moment of joy uh because finally their youngest son was at home so they were happy that we parted ways with Lange and I was actually going to stay with them <laughs> that that sounds like mom talking it doesn't sound like dad talking <laughs> yeah. the dad's like i told you to go to the bank <laughs> yeah the business administration you didn't listen <laughs> absolutely i was expecting that man you know i'm not i'm not yeah I'm not lying I was expecting that <laughs> but I mean but even he was really really you know supportive and said yeah man I mean it's your path and um you're going to figure it out so he was definitely mm. okay with it I mean not as vocal as my mom <laughs> but he was okay with it <laughs> Now what I will say is in my short career and short experience right when I had I've had occasions where it has been like that where I had to go with my tail between my legs back home and you are worried how you're going to say something every every time my parents have been the most supportive like they haven't reacted in the way I thought they would right because mm. they it's almost like a parent thing they realize yes. this isn't the time and this is the time to give support and love the lessons yes. can come later right so so yeah anyway moving on during this period <laughs> you started to put your mind about setting up a a website yeah so what was the idea behind you know suddenly coming up with a ne- website right um the the initial idea with the instagram langapedia was actually making it a website 
Um, okay. But working part-time in the store and then the studies, creating a website was extremely demanding uh, because I had to learn everything from the scratch to do it myself. Um, so it, it was just not the right, uh, right choice at the time. I didn't have time. And um, actually the whole publishing articles on Instagram was an answer to the question saying that, okay, how can I translate the website feeling to an Instagram medium, which nobody else was doing at the time. So, you know, that was Langapedia was the end product of it. And when I finally got the time in my hands during COVID, because I couldn't move anywhere in the world, I couldn't even travel to anywhere. And um, at the time there were also, you know, no company was sure what's going on. So it was also kind of pointless, you know, for them to ask, okay, so, do you want to work together? Do you want to hire me, etc. You know, how can we work together? So I decided that it was the best time to actually sit down and um, when while my mom is cooking my meals, and I have a lot of time <laughs> in my hands. <laughs> so let's just, you know, let's just. I'm sure your mom's and... really happy you said that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's all she does: just cook your meals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, so I said, yeah, this is the best time to actually learn, you know, the basics of web development, I guess. And as my as my father says, it had to be quite simple. So <laughs> I didn't I didn't have to work a lot on it. Um, so yeah, uh, I sat down on it for a couple of months and then prepared a lot of articles for studies as well. And the you know the, there was no end goal in this in the website creation thing, but it was just something that I wanted to do right from the beginning. So I finally got the time and ventured into it again. Hmm. Was the end goal not to come onto this podcast? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the, the, the truth is, Al, <clears throat> I, I very much appreciate your PR answer about, uh, you know, how you always wanted to set up a website at the same time as Langapedia. But in truth, right? It's because you actually asked your girlfriend and she couldn't do the English. She like, had enough of it, right? She said, I'll do the post. I'm not doing the website. That's the truth, isn't it? Come on, come clean. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even if how much of an angel she is, I didn't want to burden her to her anymore. So <laughs> she's sitting next to you right now. <laughs> no, she's sitting behind the camera. <laughs> yeah. <I know>. She... <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, let's move on. um so Alp, how did the opportunity to work with watchbox come about and how does it work um yeah so after creating this langapedia website thing it's got a tremendous response from the community which i'm very much grateful and um after that i started to think that okay so what can be the necessary next steps but i literally you know haven't put any thought into that and um after that um you know writing such in-depth articles about this stuff that you know most people haven't really read about yet um you know from explaining the i don't know inner works of a chronograph which i always wanted to do and to i don't know whatever the differences between the generations or whatever um it started to you know getting shared from here and there and then uh, out of nowhere, Mike Manjos from Watchbox uh, sent me a message actually from Instagram. Uh, we were following each other for quite a while, but I mean, we never got into, I don't know, any of the conversation. 
And then he said, yeah, dude, I mean, I love what you're doing. Would you like to just sit down and chat about watches and you know, what can we do? And yeah, I said, all right. And then we, 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 had, a, we had a meeting and um, you know, we thought about what can we do together. And then the idea came up to, you know, turning Langapedia's, you know, part of parts into a marketplace uh, for people to actually, you know, browse uh, and perhaps buy and sell watches. So this is how started with Watchbox and it is going amazing um, because Watchbox gave me every freedom that I need about the stuff that I would like to write, stuff that I would like to avoid. Um, for example, obviously there are watches in the modern longer catalog, so to speak, that I don't like, and I think there are better values for those pieces, for example. And I mean, Watchbox really doesn't care, you know, on which piece I put out there because I only want to put out the stuff that I myself would wear in the first place. So I have complete freedom and that's why it's working great. Mm. And Alp, so what would you say is the next iteration in the Longopedia evolution? Right. Um, I guess there are two ways that I am thinking about uh, venturing into. Um, one is definitely making it more physical because um, obviously talking with people from all around the globe for all these years, which I had the fortune to meet with many of them, uh, I would love to, you know, right now, uh, when, the, when the travel is really easing and the world is coming back again, uh, I guess my next goal is to visit uh, places like Singapore, um, especially, and um, you know, from there to Japan, and to actually, you know, be with the guys that I have been talking with so many years. So I guess that's definitely the next step that I want to do. And other than that, I am really much into going to... Um, I'd say uh, multimedia space on video space as well. Like, um, you know, if I can tell, if I can talk about the literal history of the brand, even from the pocket watch days, which nobody talks about, at least in the English speaking countries, um, mm. that is something I definitely want to do. Mm. It's great that, you know, you want to make it physical and go to Singapore and Japan, both places that none of us three are <laughs> right yeah. so you, wanna, you, know, you don't want to see any of us you know you want to come to asia but you don't want to see any of us like thanks so much alf cheers mate <laughs> you're right man i'm sorry yeah <laughs> that are just examples <laughs> yeah that's a cheese dan <laughs> okay final question so after all the success and your journey with langapedia what is the biggest lesson that you can give people who are looking to start something? Um, yeah, I guess it's just playing good and, you know, venture into it. I would say um, the first mm -hmm. step is always the hardest, I guess. And, um, you know, when, when you take on it with a, with a good planning in the back, I guess things just develop naturally at some point. If you put, obviously, if you put your passion into it. And I mean, it is magical that people can really feel if you are really into the stuff that you're talking about, if you are really caring about, you know, what, what you're speaking of. And if you are really the guy that you talk mm -hmm. as, and 
I mean, when you have those, I guess it's just uh, it's just coming naturally. Mm. Okay. I just want to follow up with that. Is right. You know, this this if you were listening to this interview the first time, didn't know anything about Alp, you would also think, God, man, like yeah, he planned it really well, but there's a whole lot of luck involved, and it seemed like everything just lined up yeah. lined up with you, right? Like. He did this, yeah. then this happened, and then, you know, Langer called him, and then he got the job at Panerai, and then he also got, like, you know, Watchbox now. And But, you know, were there any ideas that you had that didn't actually work, that were shit? Right. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I should think. Um, to be honest, um, I can say no, because I haven't ventured into <laughs> anything like... else. <laughs> Because that was the okay. only thing that I went into. Um, I mean, I, I got into one thing and it got 100% success rate. <laughs> so, we just, we just right. made him look worse. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. gave you the chance to sound great. Yeah. And you just like, you said 100%. So there's only one way that way. Yes, that one, right? <laughs> yeah. And then he was going to laugh at, laugh at all the failures. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the failure was, you know, right, right at the beginning, you know, just, just like, just like we talked about, I mean, going into these, all of these boutiques and none of them worked actually. I mean, the, the, the job at the Panerai came like a month afterwards. And Hope is like, for- you moron, yeah. see what you missed yeah. out on. <laughs> 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 I mean, so that was that was a huge blow in the beginning um i mean uh, working at the panerai was a second blow but no. <laughs> no, no, no no i'm kidding no what you should say is out oh, oh, what you should say is like as soon as you left panerai tanked <laughs> absolutely <laughs> So yeah, yeah, that that was a huge blow in the beginning, definitely. And um, but even even oh. within the Panerai context, or because these guys were not only managing the Panerai boutique, uh, that is another luck uh, aspect that you talked about. So the owner of the boutique was a, I mean, they still are a huge, has a huge retailer network here in Turkey. They represent, I don't know, 15 brands at least. And um, and back then, even in the 90s, they were the authorized retailer of Protect Flip and Odama Piguet, et cetera. This is, I, le- I learned, I don't know, a year after, you know, I got into the Panerai boutique. And um, so, <clears throat> so when working with these guys, I created Langopedia in 2016. And then a year later, I learned that these guys are going to be the authorized retailer of Alangazone in Turkey as well. <laughs> so uh-huh. all of a sudden, I got access to everything, you know, that I ever needed in terms of photography, in terms of material, mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever you can imagine. I mean, even back then, although uh, even, even they didn't know that I was working on the Slangopedia thing. So for them, it was quite a surprise too. But they gave, they gave me the access to everything. And that definitely proves the point that you talk about luck, actually. I was, I was definitely very much lucky. And I'm really grateful for that. You don't want to use it all up in the first part of your life, though. Jeez, I mean, how lucky can you be? <laughs> right? Jeez. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm unlucky right. from the hair and baldness perspective, but this part works. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> right. Well, 
that ends the main interview with Al. It was a real pleasure for you to take us along that journey of yours. And thank you for sharing so many details of your adventure, your own personal adventure. Um, it's your turn now with the reverse round. Right, right. Um, so with Daniel, I'm going to ask you more or less the same question, actually, because so you, you started uh, with, with a couple of gentlemen and ladies there as Shanghai Watch Gang, right? Correct, yeah. And, um, you know, after some point, actually, you started, you know, working with the brands or, you know, doing events and um, turned into a business. And how did yeah. it work out for you? Uh, you know, how proud were you? And where is it going next? Well, I don't think I had your luck, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, don't think I had your luck. And I probably would have decided to go bold in change of the luck. <laughs> um, basically, you know, event space during COVID was basically a non-starter, right? So it was irrelevant to even try. Even the biggest fair like Watches and Wonders, you know, two years ago, COVID actually killed Basel as well. You know, I, think, I know Basel was mismanaged and stuff, but COVID basically put in that last dagger into Basel and it never recovered and is unlikely to. And Watches and Wonders, you know, SIHH was actually also in a very strong, you know, difficult position. Now you've got something really beautiful as Watches and Wonders and all the brands coming together, which is what everybody kind of wanted. But in, in Shanghai, yeah, it was just too difficult to, to do you know um ostentatious show of wealth is always a, a tricky one you know in yeah. in china um and then if you think about covid and the uncertainty brands couldn't fly over to shanghai also there's that immediate consolidation of okay let's not spend let's not do things outside our real comfort zone because we might need to like basically save for winter right mm -hmm. And that's what happened. So it became um, very difficult to do. China is always an attraction for um, basically uh, brands to come in because the market is so strong and it's so unknown. Yes. Um, but I guess you do something and you learn from it. And the transition from Shanghai Watch Gang was, I didn't want to just do the odd brand event yeah, with brands like how everything is done now even today like you know you bring people down and people buy watches because you yes. know a lot of those people were your friends just like the collectors speak to you about stuff right that freedom that neutrality has a high value super high value right once you compromise it by doing that you're like yeah your friends don't won't keep coming to events and keep spending money anyway and it's not like they don't know what they're buying so yeah, what do you do? Do you do the merry-go-round with all the brands taking the same people and getting that money? It's nothing like which is longevity there. So then I decided to do Shanghai Watch Festival because I thought that gave more to the collector. Collectors mm -hmm. could meet up, talk to people, talk to the actual watchmakers. You know, these people, they might not, you know, we can't all fly to Switzerland and see all these people. Yeah. And even if we did, right, like not everybody speaks perfect English and you have to travel even between the watchmakers themselves. Let's try and get them all in one room. So that was the idea of that. That was very well received. And yes. um, so we did it again the second year. And then that's when COVID hit. And then I think what that taught me is you have to go digital, right? Mm -hmm. So to get that information out there now, you know, great for the offline space, but it can't be around what your core business is based around. 
right? So it has to come from the digital and then the events can be an add-on, whether it's marketing, because anybody that's physically coming down to one of these events, yeah, is your real target market. Yeah, yep. you can get like the exposure and all the all the uh, the figures, the KPIs on the, on the digital stats. But if you want the real core people of the database that are buying, they have to be passionate, right? And yeah. they have to they will come down to those events. So that's where I would kind of think we went wrong and we should have like gone digital. We were trying to go digital and that together. I think you know, just as you what you did is focus on one thing, right? So focus on digital and then just plan it strategically until you get to the new next place. So that's where we're at trying to, right. again, be on the education side because people were coming up to us because they assumed we knew a lot about watches, right? Yes. Same as you. So can we put that? I don't want to have that conversation all the time, right? And actually, you know, to be fair, I'm tired a little bit of it. So why don't I just create <laughs> a place where people can go and get that information? So that's what we're working on right now. Yeah. Okay. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Best of luck with that. Thanks. I mean, give me some of your luck, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can try. <laughs> yeah. Skip the hair. Skip the hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It comes as a package, dude. So you got to yeah. accept it or not. <laughs> um, yeah. For Lang Lang, uh, I'm going to ask this. So um, you are now a kind of a, celebrity in the watch world with all the interviews and um, you know all the all the publishes about yourself how you got into it and your collection and I mean, have you ever thought that this would go this way when you started into watches and how does it feel you know what, what what difference do you see from back then and now in the watch community i think um okay so the first part is that one i didn't expect that and i kind of regret my biggest regret is I wish I went back and I would still show my face, but I should have made it anonymous. That was mm. one thing. Um, but initially when I did it, I was more thinking about um, if I could just connect with one to let's say five girls, that would have been enough for me to just be like, okay, let's form a small community. And then we just talk about watches, but it kind of blew up faster than I expected. And then that evolved into this is actually comical that people are taking me seriously because I know from meeting collectors, <laughs> what I know is not even a fraction of what they know. So the more the interviews come, the more I find it funny. So I'm at this point kind of taking it as a joke where it's like, oh, wow, you're still <laughs> taking me seriously. And then um, since you want to do this, like, okay, it's just churning out stuff for me. It's easy, you know? And um I think in five interviews, I'll probably get one or two messages from girls that actually go, whoa, this has been really helpful, blah, blah, blah. I'm now moving into this kind of collecting. What do you think? And those are the, those kind of messages make me feel like, okay, this is all worth it. But mm -hmm. overall to me, it's just an experience, like kind of going behind the scenes and seeing like, okay, this is how a PR company works. This is what the watch brands are actually thinking. That's all what, like, uh, that I ever wanted to know, like what was going on behind the scenes. And now that I see it, I'm okay. like, okay, then it's, the rest is just not important. It's just funny for me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, yeah, Especially after having seen how PR companies work. 
absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and when, what Alp was saying just now about like, you got to be passionate about what you like. And I'm like, I'm really passionate about Starbucks and they haven't reached out to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, perhaps you should start like Starbucks Pedia. That, that's <laughs> like, yeah, I will. <laughs> or McDonald's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely uh, yeah Jacqueline what I'm wondering is uh, you, you take tremendous shots of rather unknown and under the radar watches and I mean I can I can tell you that when you post a I don't know Moritz Grossman let's say mm-hmm. I I wholeheartedly believe that their sales jump at least 20%, right? <laughs> because, <laughs> because, because, I mean, I, you can't, you can't believe, you can't believe how many messages I get from the postings that you post. I mean, it's a German brand, right? Morris Kosman. People are asking me, what do I think of that brand? <laughs> which, is, which is stupid. I mean, why don't you ask you? I don't know. And, um, and they they got into you know this you know this this brand or whatever whatever the watch that you put on, and I mean how, how do you curate you know this under the radar selection, and okay. um, I mean where does it go? Do you always look for something that is unknown? It is it is the chase for you, mm. or I mean what's 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 the stuff behind that? Okay, well, uh, just to tell you, Alp, that the Moritz Grossman was actually a sponsored watch that people oh. don't know about. No, it's not. <laughs> 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 that um, of all the sales that I made possible, I got a fifty percent commission. <laughs> but shh. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> I think you need to come clean because, like, um, people are actually going to believe you. Yeah. They oh, oh, okay. That's total bullshit. Sorry if you believed me. Um, but Moritz Grossman, if you're listening to this, hey, <laughs> write to me. <laughs> um, I love your brand. I <laughs> love what you're doing. <laughs> that works only once. Nobody's yeah, listening. Watch- Panerai's going to be listening to this and Panerai's going to reach out to you. <laughs> um, yeah, but all seriousness, no, that wasn't a sponsorship. That was, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll first, t- I think it's funny that people are writing to you about Moritz Grossman. Um, yeah. But I did, you know, now thinking back to it, when I uh, first posted that watch and I shared it with, you know, some group chats I was a part of, people were very interested in, and I was shocked by 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 how many people all like also wrote to me and kind of asked about oh why this brand what's it about what why did you like it what did you um why did you go with the choices that you made and I kind of just um well was shocked that people kind of liked what I designed because it was a it was a it was it was my own design and and um and just talking it out with other people, I guess, made them realize just how much value there is still left to be found in the current market. Um, Moritz Grossman, I, you know, I've known about the brand, um, but uh, it wasn't until actually um, a collaboration 
that uh, revolution, so Waco did with, with yeah. uh, Moritz Grossman, what, did I realize, wow, that is really nice. And the reason why that all of a sudden jumped onto my radar was because of the size, right? Moritz Grossman are usually 40 plus sizes and their, and their cases are really beefy. They're really strong cases and especially for their hematic watches. And, um, and I actually was able to try their only watch um, from last year on, and it was just huge. It was huge. So, you know, when, when um, I saw that watch, it was a 37 case as opposed to 40, what, 41, 42. And then I thought, wow, 37 might still be a little bit large. Let me try to see if I could find something within their current lineup that works for me even better than how the 37 might work. So reached out uh, through the help of a friend and they suggested this case that they actually don't make a lot of because it's the, the case design is called Tefnut and it's a 36 millimeter case and it belongs to the ladies collection. And I wasn't aware of it. And when they brought it up, I was like, oh, that's perfect. Um, I don't care if it belongs to a ladies collection. I think it's actually great that it belongs to a ladies collection. Um, but obviously, you know, it had diamonds on the uh, ladies, like regular production models. I didn't want any. So without the diamonds, when you removed the jewels, it actually actually looked like a very different watch. And then I read about the history of the brand. I knew that they were um, very famous for their hands and they're all hand polished and, and handcrafted. And they're so, so, so thin, um, fire treated to this very um, ultra violet purple, bluish color and I wanted right. something that matched the hand so that's why I went with plum indices and so it, it the whole entire process it wasn't like painstakingly um difficult it was actually very straightforward I looked for a case size that worked for me I picked a dial color the the type of the dial which is grunt foot and then the roman numerals and, and the color so it was very straightforward and simple and that's why when people started messaging me i was blown away because i didn't put that much thought into it at the moment i just thought what a great brand um what a yeah like they're doing something right i i want to be a part of it right so yes. I'm very happy that people have messaged me and now are saying that they've also went forward with their own um, special commission pieces inspired by my piece. But then like my piece was inspired by Revolution's piece. And I think it's great that, um, you know, I don't need the recognition of having a unique piece. And I, one guy even asked me, do you mind if I do it like exactly like how you done it and I was like yeah sure go ahead like I can even send you the blueprint and everything and the invoice with the exact descriptions I don't really care I think it's it's great and um going back to your second question which is under the radar watches I think um, I think it was kind of a coincidence that you know when I started my collection it started with vintage Cartier and I've said this many, many times. The reason why I started with Vintage Cartier was because of the price. It was relatively affordable and nobody really cared about Vintage Cartier. And I, it was complete luck for me as well when I chanced upon uh, a Tank Louis. And when I held it, I was like, whoa, this is so different from what Cartier 
now sells. Right, this was two years ago. So <laughs> I, I I looked at the marketplace, what it had offered, and I bought so many of them in a very short amount of time. Um, and then that was December, uh, that was late 2019. And then come spring of 2020, all of a sudden Cartier started blowing up thanks to a mutual friend of ours. <laughs> um, he was bidding on a on a crash, and I think he was the first guy who had bid that. I think pass a hundred K for a crash and it made headlines. Right. And all of a sudden people. Inside job. Yeah. Yeah. Inside <laughs> job. That was, see what people don't know is that was also a plan. <laughs> I'm not um, and then, and then uh, all of a sudden started, people started realizing about Cartier and I started getting tagged in all these Cartier posts of random people. Even when I was posting about, Omegas and, and and Rolexes, but I was getting mostly tagged in Cartier posts and people were coming mm-hmm. to me asking about Cartier information. See, I should have started Cartierpedia or something at the time <laughs> because <laughs> it was so random and, and but it was great. Like I, I met so many people through it. Um, and so once that kind of thing blew up, you know, I prefer to be relatively private. Um, and, and when something has become so hot, it kind of, and I'm, I'm, I feel sad admitting this, but it kind of changes how I see it because the initial, I mean, we, we, we say this all the time, right? I don't care about what other people think. You just wear and buy whatever you like. While that is true, I don't have control over all my emotions. And it just felt like when, I don't know, the crash got to this extreme amount and everyone was wanting one, I was remembering back to in 2019 when I traded an FP Journe for a crash, for a crash that back then nobody really wanted because I really liked it. I really liked the design cues. And I went to hell getting that watch because I was traveling. It was Christmas time. The watch was in London. It first got shipped to New York. It got shipped to the wrong place. And then it got shipped to Japan and then ended up didn't have a strap because the strap was alligator and they couldn't ship exotic leathers. And then I wanted to wear it during my Christmas party, but then there was no strap. So then I had to ask this guy, my friend who makes um, the cases for my cameras, make me a strap so I could wear it. And then I traveled with that watch to Japan. I I rode in the rain in Kyoto with that watch. I did everything with that watch. That was the only one that I brought. But now it's like kind of changed. And and because I know I had that memory and now that wearing it out, um, it it, it feels different. It it, it kind of was this like little, little secret baby that I had. And now it's, it's become something different. So that's why, you know, I guess subconsciously I look for these brands or vintage pieces that fly under the radar because I like um, that connection of having, a, I like the connection that I have with a piece of object or a watch that's like a nod in respect. You know, if you know, you know, and it's kind of unspoken thing between me and the watch. So maybe that's why I look for, you know, brands such as Moritz Grossman or, or um, I mean, I wouldn't even call Lauren Ferry like that, but, but still relatively under the radar. Um, and then with the other watches that I bought, 
um, recently, you know, when I bought them, I mean, this is again, this is not, I guess if I say like that, people are going to think I'm, I'm flexing, but it's really not like when I buy them, nobody really cares about it. And then (laughs) it just turned out that after a few months, people started buying into it. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you guys are all having fun, but you're also <laughs> taking fun away from me. <laughs> so I have to keep on looking for other stuff like Movados or, or um, yeah, other yeah. stuff. So, so you're as humble as Alp then. And then I know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well. Like it's, it's thankful that me and Lung Lung are on this podcast, you know, just to make it so that we don't all come across like that. But yeah. uh, after your little speech on Moritz Grossman, if one post brings sales up 20%, I don't know how your little yeah. speech is going to do to affect their sales, at least 60%. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, Moritz Grossman, if you're listening to this, <laughs> my phone yeah. number is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, they're doing tremendous watches. Right. Yeah, going to move on. The move on right devised uh the pump push around and uh you know you know how this goes uh, it's a bit turkey centric right it is right. okay Go. first question tell us one thing about turkey that we should all know but don't um the kebab that you're eating outside of turkey is not real so you have to come here <laughs> uh, so it's oh, not authentic guess. No, not even authentic. It's something entirely different. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, uh, don't kill the dollar kebab like that. Don't kill it. No, man. Yeah. Wait, what about the Turkish coffees we have outside of Turkey? Mm, yeah, I guess they're better. Mm, more authentic <laughs> than the kebabs. Okay. Yes, definitely. But kebabs are like, I don't know minus 10 so (laughs) many a drunken night has been polished off with a beautiful kebab (laughs) absolutely man yeah there i agree yeah Yeah. Yeah. but but if you're sober then it's a crime so all right next one tell us one thing about turkey that if we told someone we would sound like we really know turkey some inside knowledge about turkey like so if i said it they go oh you've been you know about turkey but actually you we've never been we can we can be like you know elp <laughs> and then they'll like, oh. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely they would make fun with you that's one thing but other than that um you you can tell them they're not riding camels anymore <laughs> it's it's surprising that even in this day and age you know how many people believe that actually we ride camels here in turkey but, um, yeah um, okay no it, camels uh, anymore yeah no camels here i guess, I guess that's one thing yeah yeah uh, okay. third question one turkish delicacy other than turkish delight um baklava yeah. Ah, okay. yeah, good. Yeah. Is it true that they put <laughs> pomegranate inside? Uh, what? They put what? Uh, put pomegranate inside baklava. Pomegranate. What's what is pomegranate. it? Pomegranate. It's like so. a fruit. Dude, his mom cooks for him. Don't grow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, he has to Google it. He doesn't know. Yeah. What are you okay, talking about? No, no, pomegranate. No, I've I've never heard it. No, uh, but it's the red fruit, and if you open it up, it's like little dots. 
No, no, I, I, I know pomegranate. <laughs> I, I never heard that they were putting it into my flower. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, so it's not that much, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but no, no, baklava is they, they make it with pistachio with walnuts, uh, either in one of them, mm-hmm. and um, the, the, the best ones you would find with they, they cook it with butter. for the best ones just just message me (laughs) right yeah (laughs) basically message your mom yeah yeah (laughs) no man i'm I'm a lot good at eating (laughs) i hate how i came across in this podcast (laughs) (laughs) but you're being authentic yeah it's okay right. we have the second part to prove yourself <laughs> right my one one aspect of turkish culture that you'd like to share um one aspect of it uh, yeah from turkish I, I guess their intimacy i can say one thing um right. okay. especially if you go to the southern eastern region here it is something that, I mean, I don't know. The people would treat you like you're the king. Uh, what I mean is mm-hmm. if, if you go to their places as a guest and they don't know you, right? You just met them in front of their shop for like five minutes. And um, the guy is going to invite you at home for dinner to, I don't know, give you whatever delicacy that he has and just offer you the, I don't know, best meal and conversation that you ever seen. And this is something so regular in that region. It's crazy. Um, I oh. guess that is something that, you know, I'm kind of proud of. <laughs> you right. see, I, I would love that. But then the average Chinese would just be scared the shit out of their pets <laughs> if, you, if like a stranger invited them yeah. to their home. <laughs> because the number of news of kidnapping or like holding yeah. people hostage. Um, I just think like right now in Shanghai, like, Dude, if you invited someone to the house, they would eat your house clean. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you'd have no food yeah. left, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. next question. The best non-Turkish dish that you love to eat? Uh, <laughs> pizza. Fake, fake pizza. kebabs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, pizza. It should be. Okay. Um, I, yeah, yeah I, see, mm-hmm. I, I still remember the one in Naples. Um, I mean, that, that was something else entirely. So for me, it's always going to be at top, I guess. Mm, okay. A Turkish dish that foreigners have difficulty accepting. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I have the best one. Um, I don't know how to say it politely. Um, <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to say it politely. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. I don't. Um, like, um, uh, what's... Uh, I have to check the animal's name. Oh, <laughs> I'm no. sorry. Is it, like, is it like the private parts of something? Yeah, of the, it's right, like the balls right, or right. something. But oh, since yeah. he says that people don't ride camels, so is it the camels? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's uh, what it's it's uh, it's a ram, but no, it's not a ram. Okay, but uh, something like bull, but from the mm-hmm. sheep region. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. Uh, okay. The, they are the bulls of the sheep. Okay. okay. He's not uh, saying okay. bulls. So, he's saying bulls, as in like the bollocks, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. 
That's no, 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 oh. no. I'm saying, I'm saying, so no, he's saying sheep, the animal. I don't know. Oh, yeah, oh. the male yeah, sheep, the, right? Yeah, the yeah. male um, sheep. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So the testicles we, um, of the male sheep. Yeah, the balls, the private parts. Right. right? We, we grill. Yeah, we grill the testicles, and um, that is something that people are having a hard time accepting it. Yeah, um, but, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. So you eat never before. No, I mean, I, I don't eat every day, right? But <laughs> It's like, help. Yeah. what's your daily routine? Oh, I wake up, I pop two testicles in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> but especially in, the, in, the, in that southern eastern region that I told you about. So mm-hmm. the second reason that you should be careful <laughs> that they, they cook it a mm-hmm. lot. I mean, they grill it, right? And, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, it, it is interesting. It is so much tender uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, um they 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 spice it very nicely so it's it's a good dish that i mean uh, i like but not many people are trying it yeah i would eat okay. it i would yeah. eat I would it totally i've seen it right online. Yeah. i've never yeah eaten. absolutely it's yeah. nice yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right okay. next one one thing in turkish culture that is considered rude that we would not associate with other cultures so you could like be rude unknowingly Okay. Um, yeah, interesting. I don't know. Um, I guess one thing, I don't know how accurate is this, uh, or I don't know if it's a good answer or not. But um, so when I, was, when I was living with a, uh, when I was in exchange studies in Prague, uh, mm. my roommate was from uh, Canada and uh, the other one was from US, uh, from the other room. And um, so whenever I make a joke or do something, they wouldn't laugh like a lot, but they would, they would, they would just say, ha ha ha, that's funny. So <laughs> and oh. um, I, I would just ask them, dude, I mean, if it's funny, just laugh, you know, <laughs> don't tell me that the d- damn thing is funny with your serious face. And um, here in Turkey, I mean, it, it's the same stuff. If you tell, if you tell someone and you don't show emotion, but I guess, I mean, tell someone, yeah, I mean, you're funny. And it is, it's it comes rude. across, yeah, it comes across extremely rude to those guys because, you know, Turkish people mostly live with emotions. So for them, it mm-hmm. is very important for them to, you know, just see you, I don't know, see you <laughs> laughing to their joke or whatever you're talking about and not telling them. So uh. when Turkish people cry, they really cry then. Or else it's not. It comes across as not sincere. Yeah, yeah. If you just drop a tear, it's like, dude, you're rude. If you're really it's sad, like, you would be yeah. like, yeah, yeah. It's like, basically, it's like North Korea. You have to like really cry or be really happy. Absolutely. Yeah, you got to. Oh, that's interesting. Interesting. Mm. Okay. I guess it's kind of yeah. like uh, Japanese people. They're always laughing, but you look at the eyes and. There are no wrinkles there. It's like just stiff. <laughs> and they're just like, ha 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 ha. And then you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next okay. question. Next question. Uh, one thing that Germans do or have within their culture that surprised you? Oof. Many things, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Germans, Germans are an interesting breed. <laughs> Um, uh, let's think which one is it um, I mean what, what's always surprising with Germany is how straightforward they are 
uh, I'm not necessarily talking about, um, you know, conveying their thoughts or emotions, but how confined they are in terms of their thinking. Right? That, that, was, that was, for me, the most surprising thing that I've ever seen because, I mean, Germany was obviously and still is kind of an industrial leader in the world and, you know, especially in terms of engineering and what's going on. But each one of these guys, perhaps you might say that, you know, as a result of capitalism and you know, maximizing efficiency, each one of these guys have an expertise area or a thing that they have been told, right? Mm. And if you ask them something, you know, outside of their, I don't know, uh, what they were allowed to think or what they were taught, I guess, then for them, it is something extremely hard to, you know, give you a definite answer or even to think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, for them, it's not a question at all. So you should just ask the other guy who specialized in it. For mm-hmm. me, that was very surprising because in Turkey, everybody has an opinion about everything. So <laughs> that, was, that was something different. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Next question. Have you been outside to Asia? If so, where and if not, where would you like to visit first? I know you kind of said um, Japan Singapore, and Singapore, Japan. but we're just going to ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> so where, where would I want to visit in Asia? Yeah, come yeah. on. I'm not. Come yeah. on. You, you know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> what, what countries are there? Otherwise, Singapore and Japan. <laughs> yeah, all right. No, well, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, all right. No, definitely. Definitely Hong Kong and Shanghai. You know, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, absolutely there. Um, I mean, other than that, I would say Mongolia, for mm. sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can have I mean, plenty it, it, of sheep testicles there. I was thinking Absolutely. The same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a completely different experience as far yep. as I can tell, you know, from the videos and stuff. So for me, it would be amazing. Mm. Great. Well, and I, I, I like to write as well. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast, uh, Alp. That was amazing. It was a good laugh. And thank you very much for sharing your story. I'm sure you came across perfectly as you wanted. (laughs) We will see you guys on the next one. Okay. Cheers, guys, for listening. Yeah. Bye-bye. As always, thank you for listening to the waiting list podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the waiting list podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.